You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 40. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, Sanesa! Oh, yeah! Hey, back on! Yes! Episode 40! 4-0! Oh, wow! <gasps> That's middle age, isn't it? Oh, is it? 40 is middle age, <laughs> I think. Why? Well, it feels like it. Oh, middle, I don't know, middle. I don't know. You you, you uh, are the only one having having experience with that. Well, you wouldn't know, yeah. of course, because you're so young. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, mm. it depends. It depends. I mean, if you live until, let's say, to be 100, then 40 isn't quite middle age. 50 is. Uh, so. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Aiming for that, then. Which I really hope will be the case with you. Mm. And with all of us. And with the show. So let's uh, hope for at least 100 episodes of the show. Oh, I thought you were talking about 100 years. Here is for the next... (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, we could be there for 100 years. Yeah, Guys, let's start small. Let's just aim for the next 60 episodes. Here is for the 60 episodes. Yay! Yeah, mm-hmm. all right. But there is something we've already achieved. I, I, well, I wouldn't dare calling it quite an achievement just yet. But we are slowly getting there. And what I'm talking about, actually, is that we recently were informed that we are actual finalists for the 2016 Occam Awards. Yeah, that's crazy. Woohoo! That's crazy. And for that, I would like to thank all our listeners who actually cast a vote on the website of The Skeptic magazine. Yeah. That's very, very much appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. The actual award ceremony is taking place at QED, mm. Question, Explore, Discover, in Manchester on the 15th. Is it the 15th of uh, October? It's a Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. So we'll see. Well, it's very nice to be nominated anyway. That's great. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's something that we can brag about. Yes. That's, <laughs> if nothing else comes out of it, yeah. that, that, that we can still do. Yeah. I got an email from a Hungarian guy, a Hungarian researcher, who contacted me because he wanted to join GSOW. Oh, good. Susan, do you hear that? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and... You know how he he heard about GSOW? Through the ESP. So even though I had been um, d- doing some promotional work for GSOW at the Hungarian Skeptic Society as well, uh, it's not how he got to us. He got to us through the ESP. It's a very popular show. Oh. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, he's a Hungarian guy. So, yeah, thanks very much. Laszlo for contacting us and I'm pretty sure that that Susan's going to be very happy with that all right well what else happened since we uh, last talked not much not I think much. no it's been a slow week yeah uh, yeah I don't think so no. oh and I'd like to thank everyone for their very nice comments regarding my voice <laughs> and their good wishes um regarding my health as well so I'm very happy to report that I'm I'm back back to normal. That's good. We are very grateful for that. The only thing that I I kind of regret is 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 losing losing my Al Pacino voice. Yeah, yeah, right. I still haven't got uh, got over mm-hmm. that. Um, it was such an experience. Hmm. 
funnily enough, nobody liked my voice, especially when, when my microphone uh, misbehaved uh, on the last episode. We did. It was uh, rather... Well, you liked it, yeah, sure. <laughs> It was hilarious. I don't talk like that. I didn't sound like that. So, do you th- do you think the technical problem is solved now? I, I hope so. I have double that microphones now, so if one fails, I'll go with the other. So they should be recording separately from each other. I don't know. Let's see. So you you act like a professional news agency. Yeah. You have multiple microphones, and oh, nice. Yeah. I, nice. I don't I don't solve the Good. problem. I just throw more money at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's uh more like um i don't know a government <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> <or> a country exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right shall we actually start talking about what we're here for yep let's do that indeed okay which is uh, letting our dearest listeners know what's to be expected to happen in the coming week across europe uh, the coming week being the one starting with Monday the 19th. On Monday the 19th, uh, there will be a Skeptics in a Pub in Glasgow with Heather Pentler. And um, the theme will be how alternative medicine tried to kill me. Hmm. Good. I hope they don't kill Eggman there because we might want to talk to him more, some more. <laughs> <laughs> on Tuesday the uh, 20th, we have an event in Salzburg Freilassinger. It's a social skeptics in the pub, and I think it's the first time we have talked about Salzburg in uh, in the show. So, uh, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, same day in Leicester, we have something, The Ethics of Sex Robots with Dr. Kathleen Richardson. Oh, sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, Sex is always interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sisyphos, the the Czech Skeptic Society, will hold a plenary meeting in Prague, the capital, and there will be a talk as well given uh, by one of the advisors of the government. Facts and myths about cannabis treatments is the title. And on the same day, Wednesday the twenty first, uh, there will be another talk in another country, which is France. In Paris, where the talk will be given by Gilles Fernandez, and the title is The Skeptical Look at UFOlogy. One would think that UFOlogy is absolutely out of fashion by now, mm. but apparently it still pops up here and there. Mm. Um, interesting. Mm. Well, I don't think it's ever going to be out of fashion. Yeah, do you know... We, <laughs> Probably not. It, it is not out of fashion. We had a local uh, uh, skeptic charter uh, or a branch of the Swedish skeptics in Sweden. And last year, they dropped out of our skeptical organization to focus on uh, UFOs instead. So that's really something. To focus on UFOs, yes. that means... They, instead of instead of in, skeptical mm-hmm. kind of investigations, they went into ufology. Yes, interesting. So you never know. Wow. You never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah. So on the same day, Wednesday, twenty first of September, there'll be several events happening in uh, UK, as to be expected. Manchester Skeptics in the Pub Social. Um, just come along and hang out. There's no particular theme. Um, then there will be a 
Eastbourne, do not harm, um, psychological research and its links with medicine, um, with Jane Ogden. Third one is going to be happening in High Wickham, and the uh, theme is Dualism and the Soul with Stephen Law. And last but not least, there will be an event in Lewes, uh, and the uh, theme, um, which, which is Orthotropics Changing Faces, um, with Professor John um, Mew. So that's an interesting topic. Lewis is not very far from you, so you could Maybe. even yeah. attend the talk. Ah, yeah. okay. Homework. Go. And it's a beautiful little town, actually. Is it? Have yeah. you been? Yeah. Ah. It's, it's uh, down down very close to the southern shore of the UK. Oh, lovely. Okay. Yeah. It is lovely. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, I, can, I, can, I can see it, actually. It's quite close to Brighton. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. On Thursday... Uh, 22nd, the Barnsley Skeptics have their annual uh, yearly meeting, so you can show up for that. And then we go to Spain, to Valencia. They have a talk called Science in the Shadow, which is about forensic science and how to solve crimes. Mm. And the speaker is J.M. Moulet. Then we have Edinburgh. Uh, Skeptic Cinema and Sci Screen presents Silent Running. And Silent Running, I didn't know this, that's, that's apparently an old sci-fi movie from 1972, which apparently have inspired quite a lot of other more well-known uh, sci-fi movies like Star Wars uh, and others. So, and, uh, th- so that, that sounds interesting. Go see that movie if you can. And then, Still on Thursday in Liverpool, the Merseyside Skeptic Society presents Socialist Fun Times with Chris Coltrane. Nice. I, li- I like that one, <laughs> Socialist Fun Times. I thought socialists don't have fun times. Do well, they? I don't know. Maybe they have when they're in the pub in Liverpool. So. They probably have fun just being socialists. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Go socialists. And I think that's that's all we have for this week. Nothing on Friday, Saturday or Sunday that we know of. So that's it. Yep. But it's it's still, still a full week. Quite yeah. a lot of events happening. Yeah, it's quite a full week. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you. All right. And I think it's time to move on to our interview, which we recorded with the Turkish blogger, science educator and... Uh, Podcaster, Ishil Arijan. On every other episode, we interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today, we have here with us medical doctor and popular science writer Ishil Arijan, founder of the Turkish website Yalan Savar, a scientific skepticism resource and host of the podcast bearing the same name. Although she lives in the United States, she's very much involved in the Turkish skeptical movement. Ishal, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andras. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. And we really appreciate um, that that you're doing this because you're very far away. You're on the other side of the planet. So that's very late for you right now. And uh, your life is not easy, as I understand, in the the last couple of days, weeks. (laughs) (laughs) 
So thank you very much for for agreeing to do this. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. I mean, I've been trying to move. That's the hardship you're talking about. And um, so I have a lot of tasks to do, but I'm always happy to uh, participate and support uh, global skepticism. That sounds great. And uh, you seem to be very active in both international and uh, the Turkish levels. But let me start with a question regarding the website and the podcast. The name Yalan Savar. Yes. Does it have a meaning? Yes, it does. <laughs> um, so Yalan is actually um, like lie or scam in Turkish. And okay. Savar is um, literally means repellent, but it's also a word game. Um, something that you use to get rid of things is called also like um, it has that um, suffix. So we try to do a little word game by calling it Yalan Savar, meaning uh, scam or lie repellent. Mm, that's good. When someone goes on the website, uh, under the name Yalan Savar, there is another line with a very nice looking text. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what that says. Can you tell, tell us what, what that is? Sure. It's actually, so if, if people go to the website, which is um, yalansavar.org, uh, our logo is a candle. And because what inspired us to build this website was the um, famous Carl Sagan book, uh, Candle in the Dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, the underlying uh, text is, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Wow. Do you want to say it in Turkish? Sure. Karanlığa lanet okumaktansa bir mum yakmak yedir. I love these moments. <laughs> this is the most important reason I'm doing this podcast, to listen to lines like this. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this uh, idea, this uh, website, turn into a long-lasting project? Or did it was it intended like that from the beginning? No, actually, the story of the website is kind of uh, funny because, uh, one... Um, I think we were, I mean, I was always a skeptic. Again, I I didn't know what the skepticism was. I just thought that I was a spoiler, spoiling the fun of all, you know, superstitious and these incredible claims among the people that I know and among the friends. But um, I never thought of putting them into the web, website or in a, in a kind of a source. It was more like a friend conversation. And those were the days when you would receive an email forwarded to like 200 people in the work and um, then I started to first write in responses to those emails and explaining like why it could not be so. And here are some links and here are some resources and whatnot. And uh, my husband, Junaid Özdaş, uh, he's, we're very familiar personality wise and he was the same. Then uh, we moved to the United States and um, when we moved, I did not have a work permit. So I was looking for, you know, to spend my time in a productive way. So he suggested, you know, we've been writing these emails, responses and saving them in our inboxes um, because we know another friend after a month or so will send the same exact email so we can pull our previous response and send them back, send it back to them. He said, you know, maybe we can just put them in a repository so we don't have to search for them in our inboxes anymore. So I, I first started to put together the, all the responses that we give to these ridiculous claims for us as a repository. And then, um, then I was, you know, I was a lot of, I was on internet and w- reading a lot of resources and whatnot. Um, then I thought that, oh, maybe we should do a wiki-like page so we can kind of like um, interconnect some of these claims to each other. 
So I actually started doing a wiki and uh, the, the domain was a gift from my husband, who's also a um, skeptic and part of the skeptical movement um, as a birthday gift. Um, so he gave me the website and we kind of decided the name together. Then I started to develop some content and start to write things in a wiki format. But I don't know if you have experience of editing wiki. It's not the easiest hmm. thing to do. It's not. Um, then, I, then I decided that I would convert it to WordPress and put it in like a sort of like a blog post format. And that's how we started. Then um, as I started to produce more content in it and started to tackle some popular issues. Um, we started to have readers and among some of the readers, people like us who are also skeptics and were eagerly looking for like-minded people uh, started to reach out to us and, um, and depending on their level of expertise on the issues that they want to tackle or their enthusiasm and the time they can spend, uh, we we accepted some of them into our um, author group. And as of today, we're, uh, we have 11 authors and all of them are very active. And um, they're active in other domains besides our uh, website as well. And we're very good friends and coming from different backgrounds and uh, all across the world, actually. So we have me and my husband. We are both in California. Another friend also from California in, the, um, in our author group. We have a, an author from um, East Coast, United States. She just finished her PhD in Harvard University. Uh, we have a postdoc friend who's also Turkish, but living in Finland. And then and the rest of the team are living in Turkey. Uh, we have engineers, dentists, um, physicists. So we are, we're a large group and that helps us to tackle different um, subjects all across the skeptical um, activism. Oh, that's cool. Um, when, when did this start again? Um, the first website and the first content started in 2009. But I think I would consider like a full-fledged Yalan Savar with multiple authors and more regular content production. I think we started probably in 2010. Oh, but that, that, that means it's, it's been going on for, for several years, which is great. The only problem is that I came across is that uh, I don't understand much of it. So I had, to use, I had to use Google Translate, but it looks very, very good. I mean, very well thought out and, and very nicely put together. It's very clear in design as well, so it doesn't really distract the the reader from from the actual content which is great but then there is a podcast as well that that you are running yes uh, how did that come about um we always wanted to do the do a podcast probably in the last two years especially after listening very good podcasts in english as you mentioned uh, the one of the challenges of being in an international skepticism arena is that there are not enough content and that was the reason that we wanted to do this in turkish because if you think about English, there are tons of very good podcasts, very good websites, resources out there. But in Turkish, um, there were none before we started. And I'm, I'm glad that we actually spearheaded the movement. And now there are a couple of more um, websites or people who are interested in this and creating content too. But um, so we started as the first like coordinated, organized, written resource for skepticism and scientific skepticism. And I... Actually, also um, want to add that we don't only 
focus on skepticism and debunking, which is how we started initially. But now we also we, we also create a lot of educational material around critical thinking and cognitive biases and how the mind works, which is, I think, a crucial part of the skeptical movement. So after coming to a certain point where we had a pretty good um, traffic in the website, our readers also asked us to like, why don't you guys do a podcast? Because I think it would be great to listen some of these key issues, um, especially you know when you're driving, when you're working out. Um, so we we were contemplating that last before we, before we started the podcast, we kind of did a couple of um, Google Hangouts where we take a subject and kind of like discuss uh, among us, and then publish it as a YouTube video, which which received a very good feedback, but it was pretty informal discussion. Um, we always wanted to do a little bit more formal, recorded, good sound quality podcasts. So we did a couple of pilots, which didn't really work out, didn't release them at all. Because as you know, podcasting is hard. Like you have to have good equipment and, you know, gathering the thoughts and trying to fit into a time frame and ensure that you covered everything is tough. So we did some trial and error on our part, but um, as of this year, at the beginning of January, we've released our podcast. It's a bi-weekly podcast. We kind of um, paused a little bit this summer because of the events happening in Turkey. We were unable to um, coordinate a recording session because of the uh, political situation and um, people being very distracted in Turkey, of course, and our, our listeners were not able to listen either. So on, in summer, we did a couple of pauses, but as of um, two weeks ago, we released our 11th episode, and um, now we are in the top five science podcasts in Turkey. Um, so that makes us really happy. We have a pretty good um, listener volume now. That's excellent. You, you mentioned the, the current uh, problems, political problems in, in Turkey. How, how big are the restrictions you feel from a free speech uh, point of view? And has that so, sort of held you back in any way? Um, no, it did not hold us back because um, I think the current situation is very much around the political um, arena. And um, our focus is mostly on um, positive sciences and uh, more scientific skepticism, not very much in politics. So it did not really restrict us uh, from creating content and such. But of course, when a country is going through a crisis, people's attention and people's minds, including us, is elsewhere. And you really don't want to talk about something else. You're totally immersed in the news and what's sure. going on and what's going to happen. Um, so other than that, I don't think we had any issues with, uh, with our mm. content. So, yeah, we've talked about the podcast, we've talked about the website. Is there an actual skeptical organization in Turkey? No. If you're talking about an organization like a foundation, no, we don't. Um, there are some groups in the universities and there are some, um, there are people who are doing this as volunteers, uh, but there is not a formal organization in Turkey around skepticism. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is that... Um, Building such an organization uh, requires a lot of bureaucratic uh, actions in Turkey, and it's kind of hard for us to do, especially for us who are scattered all around the world. Uh, it's really tough. So we we kind of talked about it, and we evaluated the pros and cons, and we didn't really see any 
pros being a formal foundation because uh, we are able to create content and reach out to people anyway, regardless of in which manner we do this. Mm -hmm. So so how many followers do you have of the podcast uh, and also the, the website? And by the way, how many people do speak uh, Turkish in the world? Well, the population of Turkey is around 70 million, 75, I think, close to. And then there are other countries that also speak Turkish. For example, we have, interestingly, a large number of people from uh, following our blog from Azerbaijan. And they speak Azerbaijan and Turkish. It's slightly different, but you can definitely understand what you're reading and hearing. Uh -huh. And the same for us. We can understand Azerbaijan and Turkish too. And there are a lot of expatriates or people like us who are living in the other countries um, that are following our blog Uh, and then there's also uh, web anonymizers, because if you've been following, there have been a lot of censorship around the web on Twitter, on Facebook, or even like sometimes WordPress in Turkey. So a lot of people uses um, Tor and other browsers. So when you look at the maps where the IPs are coming from, we basically covered every country, I think. I, I used to post um, a world map with all the countries that we have listeners. And I think the only white area was uh, Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> so No one uses a, a, a Greenlandish VPN. Or that's Probably. <laughs> <laughs> But I know that there are also a lot of people living in very different countries, went there for studying or or settled down there, or working there and listening our podcast. Our overall, we have about 40,000 views and um, about um, 25,000 visitors every month. Oh, that's good. And, that uh, is impressive. For the podcast, so far we have about 200,000 downloads. And on a monthly basis, we are around 40,000 um, downloads every month. Wow, that's really big. That is really big. And how, how long have you been doing it? Um, since January. We just released our 11th episode. Okay. And we have a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> well, it's it's the thing is, you know, when you're the only resource, I guess that makes a difference. Yeah. And uh, it depends on the subject. So, for example, uh, we, we talked about astrology. We talked about uh, overall skepticism and critical thinking and uh, fallacies, alternative medicine. And depending on the subject, some of them gets really popular. For example, our homeopathy um, episode was really popular. And then the next one that is popular as much as actually more than homeopathy was the Nobel disease. We talked about how famous Nobel laureates um, succumbed to weird claims and actually ended up <laughs> yeah. defending them, which turned out to be really interesting for people to listen. And I think we have um, probably like monthly 12,000 downloads only for that episode. Wow. Yeah, very impressive numbers there. But you've talked about a lot of things uh, regarding um, Turkish skeptics. What I would be very much interested in is if there are specifically Turkish areas and uh, misconceptions or beliefs that you need to tackle or we which are the 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 fields that that are the most popular in turkey that that usually skeptics deal with yeah i think um turkey is interesting from a point that um it has been a crossroads of you know civilizations continents and religions over the history and So we have a weird mix of things. Uh, we have a lot of things coming from Turkish traditional belief systems um, and, uh, you know, folk tales and stuff like evil eyes and, 
you know, um, coffee mm. readings, uh, fortune telling with uh, with the coffee, Turkish coffee, and things like that. And those are still prominent. Yeah. Oh, Turkish co- coffee reading is very, very popular. Like everyone wow. in a family would do it. If you cannot leave a home. <laughs> If you're drinking a coffee without someone telling you your fortune, it's very, very prominent. Wow. Okay. Uh, and um, and then there are things that are you know coming from like more traditional views or um, conspiracy theories are very big in Turkey, especially being in Middle East and seeing a lot of um, you know uh, conflicts around the zone makes people believe someone is out there and trying to get you mm-hmm. and that kind of reflects on everything from like vaccines or tools for western civilization to uh, make us infertile to um, you know chemtrails which is kind of imported idea from the western uh, sort of scientists, but um, it's it's there. Um, herbalism and alternative medicine is huge in Turkey, especially you know being close to East and um, uh, a lot of like Eastern medicine uh, concepts. Also traditional folk medicine with a lot of herbs and remedies and such. But then also a lot of people don't know that. But Dr. Oz, the very very famous sort of science promoter in the world is actually a Turkish-American. Mm. So he's very regarded in Turkey and everything he says, taking as a fact because he's a successful uh, man and a doctor working and living in the United States. So everything is sold with his name because he's like, people see it, oh, he's one of us. And, you know, he's if he's telling this, it must be true. So from like mango tea that makes you thinner to like tons of like acai berry and everything gets popular even though they initiate in Western. What else? We, we, have, we have another group of people who are educated and can follow English blogs that get affected by a um, lot of um, soda science there, uh, especially anti-vaccination movement is getting Um, stronger in Turkey, which is interesting because we have a government-funded and sponsored public vaccination system, so everyone is able to get vaccines. And it was never an issue except those that are very, very religious and believe that, um, you know, Western government is trying to stop the population growth in the in the Muslim countries, which is a very narrow um, group of people, which was... But now we have, like, more educated mom blogs that are spreading the vaccines and autism, you know, um, conspiracies around. Uh, We also have a lot of homeopathy growth in the last couple of years because of the inherent distrust of modern medicine, which is fueled by media and some famous doctors following Dr. Oz's path. We have a couple of celebrity doctors in Turkey who wants to be Dr. Oz. So <laughs> they keep talking about, you know, like this whole big pharma and don't trust medic- medicine and they're all trying to get you and all that stuff. So I think we have an interesting mix. The traditional, um, the more traditional stuff is generally not covered that much because it happens in more rural areas. Uh, for example, we would... Um, hear about like these hojas who try to heal people by writing them like weird um, magical scripts to put into their, you know, like um, 
attach their clothing like a charms that kind of helps you to do thing or prevents something from happening or like a love uh, charm that makes someone to fall in love with you or fall out of love, <laughs> things like that. Um, but then um, there's also uh, the, the problem with those is that they stay pretty much unreported because they're in the small places and these are like the hojas mm -hmm. of the small towns. So they are reported only when there's a scandal. What was the name of them? Ho Hoja, like a religious, it's like a religious leader of okay. a small community, sort of like a non-official religious leader, like a respected right. elder. And um, so they're not really reported. A lot of people go to them for treatments, for um, little um, charms and stuff. But they're reported when they sexually assaulted people, they come to them, then it makes the headlines and... Yeah, I think we have a pretty interesting mix of things. Mm. And quite a disturbing one at that as well. Yeah. I mean, in a way that influence that Dr. Oz has, uh, it doesn't sound very promising uh, for, for skeptics. But it, it means you, you have a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, we do <laughs> have a lot to do. In terms of skeptical activism, yeah. Yes. Whenever you write about herbalism, that we get tons of comments about like how this and that and how somebody's grandmother always made them hmm. you know mint and lemon tea and they always got better so it must be true and <laughs> oh yeah that's why we kind of started as a debunking sort of a website but moved a little bit towards like how do you evaluate a claim and how do you uh, critically look at an evidence whether it's worth it or not um, and i think it became a good evolution in our website and in our um, organization you mentioned re religion uh, in in Turkey. So, is religion something that you you tackle uh, in any case or in any way, or or uh, do you do not uh, work with that? Uh, we don't we don't really tackle a lot with religion because um, again, one I I think religion is even though I'm a non-believer, um, I think it's religion is hard to discuss if the person who's listening or reading you is not on the same page as you regarding like how do you prove a non-existence and how you don't have to prove a non-existence actually and the burden of proof and all that. So I think it's a, a little bit of higher level of discussion that requires a little bit of uh, more rhetoric and uh, uh, metacognition, I think. Um, the second thing is that Turkey is a predominantly Muslim and predominantly actually a religious country. Uh, when I say religious, I don't mean it as an orthodox religion, uh, even though there are a lot of people who are very religious. But then there are also a lot of people who are kind of like secular Muslims. They don't practice religion and they don't think about it on a day-to-day -day lives, but they remember it on the holy uh, days uh, like once in a year and they fast during the Ramadan and then they forget about it. But then um, they would be very much close to have any discussion about religion. So our goal is to make our website available and accessible to everyone. And in, in my experience, when you start with a very fundamental belief, which is hard to discuss um, and try to debunk it as a first thing, most people will not even read or listen to anything we have to say afterwards. So that's why we kind of focused our work on more scientific skepticism and claims that are more solid, that is easier to dissect without going into a philosophical domain, which I think is 
helpful for people to evaluate what they believe on a non-positivist domains too because now they can once they know critical thinking and uh, you know how to evaluate evidence on anything then they can apply on to what they believe themselves and i think that is a good start mm -hmm. you talked about the the shift from a debunking side to more more of an educational side uh did that help ease ease up a bit in terms of the tension that it gen that, that that it generates so Did you actually notice that 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 more people were willing to look to you for answers and for educational leadership? Um, yes and no. <laughs> so I think there are two kind of um, consumers for any kind of written media. Um, th there is one group who really would like to understand and learn more, um, which kind of likes more like a critical thinking and more dissecting um, articles that we come up. And then there is another group who really doesn't care about learning stuff and just likes to get like a final solid outcome. Um, they have a question, they come to the website. So their question would be something like, does vitamin C work? And then they want to read something preferably short and they want to say, okay, it doesn't. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I think, um, and that's why I think we we and we continue to create content on both ends. Like we create very long articles that goes into details of like you know um, how to evaluate. Like even um, the latest one was about the lottery and how how we cannot really infer one city is much more luckier than the other without looking at the complete data and how often that city actually won the lottery. That kind of goes into the details of, you know, like statistics and even like some Bayesian statistics there, which is a much more, I would say, sophisticated and a little bit more um, detailed article. But then we also write about like uh, stupid science journalism that reports you know, Mars will be as close as moon. Um, and then we kind of like write a shorter article for the other people who also would like to read that kind of things. Because I think, you know, it, when you're in a country where um, there is almost no skeptical other um, content creators, I think it's important to be able to reach out to as many people as we can, because I think everyone would gain something from what they're reading. And we don't want to turn off those who come for a shorter and easier to read explanations because our hope is that after reading a couple of them, maybe they will read the longer ones too. You seem to, in in the name of uh, your podcast and the site, you avoid, I think, the word skeptic. Uh, is that because it sounds too negative or is it just because it doesn't translate uh, very well? Um, one, the word skeptic is not really known and used in Turkish And actually, it sounds very similar to septic, which is also used for sewage systems. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's unfortunate. <laughs> so we prefer to tell our, you know, we prefer to use like a critical thinker or um, like a Turkish equivalent of um, like a, there is a Turkish word called shupeji, which is like a doctor. Um, but I don't like it either because it kind of, goes to these like conspiracy theories domain a little bit. No. So we, we've tried to use critical thinker more. We kind of use skeptic too a little bit. Now people started to use it. But initially we didn't want to 
use it in our name. Uh, one, we didn't want the label because I think our goal is to learn to teach people how to think critically. And I think that's a fundamental thing for all skeptical movement without applying a label. And again, we didn't want to um, be called something similar to sewage tank. <laughs> oh, understood. That's, that's pretty understandable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a very open and and very nice approach, if I may say say so. Um, but you're a medical doctor, and you mentioned that other contributors are from different dif uh, certain different fields. Do you personally have a favorite topic or field to talk about? Mm, I think anything that has to do with any uh, questionable medical practice is a is a attractive topic for me mm -hmm. because um for one i would like to refresh my knowledge because sometimes something comes up and it there might be especially in medicine and actually in all, in all sciences but i think medicine is more out there um there might be something new that i might not be aware so i enjoy it personally too because when i see that kind of a claim first i would go and research to find out what is the latest evidence, which might be different than last year if I checked it. Um, so that's an area that I really like to tackle. Um, personally, I also like, uh, because that's an area that I'm trying to improve myself, like overall critical thinking and um, cognition. Um, so those two are more appealing to me. But I know, for example, we do have a flight engineer friend who, um, who also into very much um, astrology and UFOs. Actually, he wrote a book about astrology last year and published it in Turkish um, called um, Why Astrology is Wrong, which got a lot of fire of from astrologers. <laughs> <laughs> he was in, on Turkish CNN for, uh, for a primetime interview, and it was a great thing for us to publicize our website as well. So um, we have a, a mechanical engineer who likes to tackle, of course, uh, perpetual motion machines and things like that. Um, so we do have a good group, I think, can answer. We have a physicist who, who was in a teaching position in Turkey, then last year came to Rice University for a year for research and then went back to Turkey at, at the beginning of the summer, who talks a lot about electromagnetism and cell phones and, you know, UV lights. And most of the time we kind of partner, for example, we did an episode about sun and uh, sun uh, screens. And, uh, and it creates a good partnership because he talks about the UV light and, you know, sun and how it comes to earth and how it's absorbed. And then I talk about what is the impact on um, humans and in our biology and, um, so I think we have a good group that can uh, tackle different things. And sometimes and we, we also have a policy that any article before um, published is reviewed by at least two to three other members. And we always co collaborate before publishing an article. And we're pretty ruthless of criti criticizing each other. <laughs> That's the best way of providing peer review. Oh, yeah, we do have a peer review mechanism and uh, we have a strict policy that no one writes an article and just publishes it. Um, we write an article, we put it in Google Drive, we let others know that I wrote this and a lot of people from our group 
co will will comment on things and will correct will co we correct each other and once we are all satisfied with the end result then we publish it for readers do you do translations as well uh we do from time to time i'm pretty um i'm pretty sensitive about copyrights so if if we do make a translation we always try to reach out to the original content creator and get a permission so um, in the past we reached out to um, Brian Dunning to get a permission for a couple of his articles to be translated mm -hmm. which he um, gave us permission um, due to Thames I, um, I connected with Stephen Novella multiple times and uh, got a permission to translate content from science-based medicine um, and in various instances, we reach out to a person who wrote the article directly and get permission. And then we always give um, links to the original article and credit to the, its original reader and always uh, put it as out as a translation so people would know. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's tough because the, the content might be very much like if it's an article written in the United States, it might be very much. Uh, United States emphasis examples and especially like what's going on here. Uh, so sometimes we need to adapt and then um, we kind of put it in quotes when we do that. Mm -hmm. um, it came to my mind because because uh, we've um, experienced some problems with the same thing. And uh, when you mentioned this peer review like process uh, in the background with uh, editing the, the, the blog posts, it is a huge amount of work with translations as well. Uh, we've had that problem in the Hungarian Skeptic Society that that we trans uh, somebody translated something, but then others had to review it, and it's it's an equally great amount of work <laughs> to to go through something and weed out every single bit of a mistake and error. But but it has to be done. Yeah. So this is why totally it's, a, it's a slow process. Yeah. Both. Yeah, I know. I mean, we. I used to work as a. TED translator as a volunteer before I get more involved in the Alasavar. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, correcting a translation is, in my opinion, mostly harder than doing it from scratch. Yeah, so. <laughs> I agree. Having done it myself a lot, I totally agree. Yeah. But you gave a TED talk yourself, didn't you? Um, no, I did not give a TED talk, but one of our authors gave a TEDx talk in Istanbul. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, okay. So he was on TEDx um, talking about science journalism, and we do have a video of it. Um, I gave a talk in um, Skeptical 2015 last year and talked about international skepticism. Okay, sorry, my mistake. Good thing you mentioned the uh, international skepticism because... Um... In terms of uh, what's going on uh, around the European Skeptics and the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, you recently got involved in in the communication among uh, the different organizations and groups. What potential do you see in that? And what do you think the necessity is of international collaborations uh, for skeptics? And where do you think we're at now? with that work of, of, of building a network? First of all, I think collaborating and learning about what other countries are facing and how skeptics in the other countries are um, trying to get a hold of these things is a really a great thing. And we can learn a lot from each other. And I think sharing ideas is very uh, powerful too. For example, I knew about the 1023 
homeopathy overdose. I watched it on YouTube first on and uh, on internet. I followed it in various countries. Then there was a 1023 um, overdose we organized here in uh, Bay Area in San Francisco. And that gave us an idea about doing a homeopathy overdose on YouTube in Turkish with Arsenicum album, which took 10 hours and became a huge success, ended up like 40,000 viewers and even um, was in media in, in multiple times. So I think things like that, seeing what others are doing and how they are coordinating a skeptical activism gives great ideas of how to do it in other countries. The thing is that, of course, every country has a different environment and dynamics. So it might not be like one-to-one application. But I think those who are working in these countries, those skeptics in these countries, would know enough to adapt whatever they see, what others are doing. So I think that's a great um, chance for collaboration. And I think um, establishing an international uh, European skeptics um, organization is a great step towards it because we can hear from each other and learn from each other. Mm. So if people want to know more about you and your work and uh, Yalan Savar, where, where would they go? Uh, if they know Turkish, <laughs> they can go to our website, www.yalansavar.org. It's Y-A-L-A-N-S-A-V-A-R. And I'm hoping that maybe we can provide a link for them because it's kind of hard to remember when it's a foreign word. We'll do that. Other than that, if they want to see something in English that they might, I mean, for Yalasavar, if they know Turkish, they can t- check it out. If they don't, they can try Google Translate, which makes everything kind of sound and look funny, but um, at least would give a content of what we're talking about, um, because you can get an idea about the, um, you know, what the article is about and, you know, visuals and such. But um, if they want to hear something in um, English, uh, again, I gave a talk in 2015 in Skeptical, uh, Northern California Science and Skepticism Conference um, uh, in here. And uh, there is a video of that talk in Bay Area Skeptics page, uh, which I'm also uh, one of the board members. So um, they can check Bay Area Skeptics on YouTube and uh, they can watch a video where I talk about skepticism uh, in Turkey and also talk about skepticism in Africa and India with permission from Leo Igwe and Sanal Edamarku. So I did a talk with 15 minutes of each country um, and focused on our work at the end um, to give people um, some ideas. Um, Other than that, um, we were invited to a couple of podcasts um, as speakers. And so we gave a couple of interviews in both um, uh, Richard Sounders podcast, um, Skeptic Zone. I think it was back in 2011. It was a long time ago. And then uh, another Bay Area Skeptics uh, board member colleague, Sheldon Helms, has a podcast called Shell Shocked. And I gave an interview there as well, which I go deeper into things unique to Turkey and weird beliefs that people might find interesting. And if all goes well, hopefully on the website of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, we'll be able to to read about a few Turkey-related news in English. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's something we are planning to start participating, hopefully in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, due to many 
members of our group uh, involved in um, various personal uh, things like I'm moving and some other friend is changing jobs and changing cities even. So it has been an interesting summer for us, which we had many uh, (laughs) changes happening in our lives. Uh, So that's why we were unable to uh, participate fully, but that's our plan. Very good. Well, I personally wish you all the success uh, with with all your plans, uh, moving house (laughs) and with everything around your life. And, of course, uh, hope to collaborate in the future on the platform of European Skeptics as well. But I'm afraid this is all we had time for. But I'd like to thank you for, uh, for agreeing to do this interview with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. It was a great pleasure to talk to you both. Likewise. Ishil Arjan, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, another country we talked about on the show. Mm. And what an achievement. And the numbers, are, the, the numbers they have, I mean, in terms of statistics and f- followers. Lots base, of followers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Very interesting. Podcast reaching a lot of people and the blog being very popular. So that, that's really yeah. good. And we, of course, we didn't know. Until we did this interview, so yeah, you learn something every day. Yeah. Yes, I do. So uh, it's it's been a great experience. But uh, I think that great experience is everything we came together to do this time. So it's time to close the show. I'd like to thank you for joining me this week. Thank you. Pleasure. And until next week, goodbye. Bye bye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu Follow us on Twitter at ESPodcast underscore EU and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe <coughs> Bless you. Uh, Buď zdarov. I wouldn't call that too much of an achievement just yet. Achievement, <laughs> just achievement, yeah. Achievement, uh, I, I prefer, yeah. So, I prefer the achievement. Yeah. <laughs> okay, shut up. I'm so, achievement. <laughs> achievement. Okay, let me say what I was going to say. Sorry. So it was. Yeah. Um, what was it? <laughs> no, I don't know. You were talking about. You were talking about achievement of some sorts. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs>